Vincent Werbeck's Derby. I guess I want to ask the question, how are you coping? It has been, I think for most of us, I think we would just say it's weird. I think that's the word that I'm hearing back from most people most of the time. It is a weird time. Um, Unprecedented. We've never been here before. We don't know what it's like. Uh, We don't understand it. Um, But also, for some of us, it's increasingly difficult. There are increasing challenges about uh, being isolated, being on our own, concerns about our own health. And this week, I know for some of the people in our church, uh, this has all got a bit closer and a bit more real. Um, There's a few people who have, uh, people who words people know and love, who have either are ill in hospital with the coronavirus or uh, sadly have already passed away. And as Anna was mentioning in her prayers, this becomes increasingly difficult and painful. People who we know and love and, and grief at the best of time is horrible and horrendous. But there's this almost like this added layer at this time where we can't physically gather around each other, where we would have been together, where we would have um, hugged one another, um, cried with one another. We seemingly our self-isolation and our social distancing now means that even that is difficult to comprehend. It is not just a weird time. It's not just a difficult time, but it is an increasingly painful time for so many. And in the midst of that, we're wondering how long is this gonna last? Uh, we get, we're starting to wonder what what comes out at the end of this. And I, I just want to say right at the beginning today that we will get through this. We will get through this. When you look back through history and all sorts of different, unbelievable, difficult times that the world has got through, the world has continued. People have got through and life has changed. We will get through this and we'll do it together. But because in the midst of all of that, with everything else kind of being stripped away and things being removed from us and our freedoms and so many different things, we're, we're kind of asking the question, what remains? What stays with us in the midst of all of these things? Is that what are the constants that we can stand upon in the midst of this um, difficult time? For us as a church, today, Sunday the 29th of March, we were um, supposed to be having our baptism Sunday. And we had a whole number of people who were part of uh, words who were going to publicly declare their love for Jesus and to uh, make that declaration by being baptised, by um, going into the water to be, to kind of be submerged into the water to then become out of it, to, to that representing of physical dying to their own way to be brought up washed clean and set free into a new way of life but unfortunately we haven't quite worked out how we do baptism virtually so that's just on pause at this point yesterday personally I was supposed to be um, down in the new forest with my parents celebrating their golden wedding anniversary 50 years of married life together and um Unfortunately, we weren't able to do it in the way that we had 
longed to and that had been planned for what feels like forever. Um, but we were able to do it virtually. We were able to gather together as a family across a uh, video conference and call and spend time together as a family and celebrate my mum and dad's 50th wedding anniversary. Things have been removed from us. So what remains? What stands in the midst of all of this that can help us? As I was reflecting on this this week, I was taken to one verse that I think speaks so powerfully to this and um, and will help us in the midst of this. And once again, I've asked Zoe to draw this up for us. So uh, here we have our verse for the day. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. And now these three things remain. Faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. And now these three remain, remain. They do not depart. They hold constant. They survive everything. Faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. This passage, uh, this verse, 1 Corinthians 13, comes at the end of... Uh, the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, and um, it's a whole passage, whole chapter, thinking about love. And if you remember the 80s in any shape or form, you remember those stickers, love is, with those two weird kind of naked people running around trying to tell us what love is. Or if you are a Londoner, if you've been on the tube at any point, you've seen the signs, love is letting other people off the tube first. But this is where our English language lets us down. Uh, we resort to this word, one word love, because we don't know how to describe all kind of different types of love. I love my wife and my kids. I also love Pepsi Max and supplies are running low in the man household. I also love Southampton Football Club. But those three types of love are all very different. They're not the same and they they do have a kind of ranking within them. I definitely love my wife and kids more than I love Pepsi Max. And 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 I love them more than I love Sam's Football Club. Honestly, I do. I do. They're, uh, in classical Greek, they have different words to describe uh, love. Uh, love on a physical level is the word eros. It's kind of where we get the word erotic um, or more romantic. It's that kind of sense on a physical level of love, eros. On a kind of emotional level, it's the level filio. It's like a brotherly love, it's like an emotional level of love with one another. Um, interesting where we get the word love, um, Greek. Uh, means lover of horses. I don't understand why that is, but philio, philip, phil, lover, lover of horses. What a ridiculous meaning for a name. Actually, uh, thankfully, I only have one L in my name, so it is lover of horses. If it was two Ls, it would be from a Turkish origin. It would mean lover of fat. Possibly a more apt name for me, but let's move on. Love on the physical level, eros. Love on the emotional level, philio. Love on the divine level is this word, agape. 
And the, the classic Greek didn't actually have a word to describe this. They couldn't kind of work out how to create this word. So they, they, the New Testament Greek kind of coined this phrase. They, they put it into their, their language, agape. And um, it, it meant this kind of giving kind of love. It was a uh, selfless giving love away, a, a love that didn't demand repayment in any shape or form. It loves, it gives because it loves. Agape. God so loved the world, as Anaris reminded us in our prayers. God agaped the world in John 3.16. In 1 John 4, we read that this, that God is love. God is agape. This is love. Sacrifice. This is agape. This is the love that God has for you. This is the divine love of the, of God in heaven who loves you, each and every one of you. We translated this as charity. The King James Version of the Bible translates this as charity, but that word has kind of changed for us and what that really means. So you can see where the origins come from in the sense of this kind of giving selfless love, giving it away. But of course, charity now means to us shops and secondhand clothes. But agape, selfless, divine love that God has for each and every one of you. It is poetry. And in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8, we read this poetry and we read some things that kind of help us to understand what this love is all about. Uh, we first of all, in verse uh, as it starts in verse four, we read things that two things that love is. We then read eight things that love isn't before coming back to four things that love is again. And then this final statement that holds this whole piece together. If you've got Bibles, turn with me together to one Corinthians 13 verses four through to eight. Love is my Bible. Turn with me to your Bible. Love is patient. Love is kind. The two things that love starts with, how Paul describes what this agape love is, that it is patient. Again, the original translation of this verse means long suffering. And I wonder, uh, for everyone who's kind of uh, trapped at home with people who wind them up a little bit, uh, husbands or wives or children, you're thinking, yeah, love is definitely long suffering. There is a, an endurance to this. Yesterday I was talking to our family and I was trying to say to them, well, come on, let's do some something fun. Let's kind of text people or ask people to do a, a challenge. And Anna said, why don't we ask people if they had to be isolated with Phil, what would you do? How would you make it work? Implying that she is having to suffer being trapped at home alone well, with us as a family together. Certainly, if you are a parent homeschooling right now, you know that love is long suffering again and again and again and again. Going for the other. There's a moment uh, in the Gospels where Peter asks Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone? Is it seven times? And Jesus says, well, that's 70 times seven. 
hoping that, that by the time you've kind of timed 70 by seven, you've kind of lost count of how many times you've forgiven someone. And it's, it was saying that, that it's not, forgiveness isn't about maths. It's not a kind of mathematical equation. It is an attitude of heart. Forgiveness and love is long suffering. It's choosing the other. It is patient, but it is also kind. At the heart of love is this act of kindness that is for the other. Love is patient. Love is kind. And then here comes the eight things that, that's just five. I can't do two hands at once. Love is eight things that it is not. It does not envy. In other words, it rejoices for others. So it doesn't kind of look at other people's, what they got and kind of say, I want that for myself. It says, no, 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 I rejoice in other people's successes. It does not boast. It's not about self-promotion and our, our, our own thing. It's not for me. Love doesn't do that. It is not proud. It is doesn't have some kind of puffed up superiority complex that lords it over anybody else. Love does not dishonour others. Of course it doesn't. It puts others first. It thinks of other people. It doesn't put other people down. Love is not self-seeking. Doesn't kind of want its own way in the midst of everything else. Love is not easily angered. What's interesting is that, again, in the original text, the word easily is not there. Love is not angered. It was deemed that that kind of phrase, um, that love is not provoked, was deemed too heavy. They inserted the word easily at that point. Love does keeps no record of wrongs. What great, great marriage advice in the midst of everything else that's going on at the moment. Don't keep a tally. Don't keep a record of when they have wronged you and when they haven't. Don't do that. It keeps no record of wrongs. And it does not delight in evil. But it rejoices in truth. Nowhere does love go, ah, they have that coming to them. That's not love. These are the things that love is not. Love is patient and love is kind and then he brings it back home Paul brings it back home with these four things that he declares that love always protects always trusts always hopes and always perseveres that's love protection trust hoping persevering keep going that is a love that never ends and so he finalizes the whole piece with love never fails. You are loved with this agape love, a giving selfless that does not demand any kind of repayment, that just loves you, a divine love that always trusts, always hopes, always protects and always perseveres. You are loved. And as we read in 1 John 4, God is love. So we can translate this passage and we can put the name of Jesus into this passage as we read it again. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonour others. 
he does not self-seeking. It, it is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus keeps no record of your wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. He, Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Jesus never fails. You are loved. In the midst of everything that's been taken away and stripped away from everything that's going on in your life right now, you are loved. But that verse that we came to that I've been reflecting on says this. Now, these three things remain faith, hope and love. Faith. Faith is believing that the word of God is true. That Jesus is who he said he is. It's believing that those words that I've just read to you again and put Jesus's name in the midst of it are real. That you are loved like that. That is faith. Hope. Hope is a combination of both desire and expectation. And you can have one without the other. I desire right now to go and see my friends and to hug people. It's not going to happen. It is not a wise thing. That desire is not there. But I can, I have expectation that things will change. Hope is a combination of both desire and expectation meeting together. And we find that hope again in Jesus. We hope in Jesus. We're not hoping for, we're not hoping for an end to the coronavirus. We're not hoping for things to miraculously change, although which we do hope and believe that they do those things, but we hope in Jesus, a person, God, who came to live amongst us, to live and breathe and walk amongst us, who went to the cross to die our death, but rose to life so that death was defeated. Death is defeated so that we can have eternal life. That is where the hope comes from. And in one of the final chapters of the whole Bible, Revelation 21, we read this. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. We hope in life eternal because of Jesus. There's an old hymn that has these words in it. Faith will vanish into sight. Hope will be emptied in delight. Love in heaven will shine bright, therefore give us love. Why is love the greatest of these three things? Because it combines both faith and hope together. And in that final picture, that Revelation 21 picture of what eternal life will look like with a new heaven and a new earth, when everything is made new, faith vanishes into sight. At that point, we see Jesus. It's not faith anymore. It is sight for who he is. Hope will be emptied 
in delight because we know that we receive the fullness of eternal life. Hope is not needed anymore, but love, love will shine bright because Jesus is there and his love for us will never end. So give us love. There's a story in Luke chapter eight of where we find these three things coming together that I hope will encourage you this morning. In Luke 8 verses 42 to 48, we read a story of a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She, um, she had gone to many different types of doctors, searching for someone to heal her, to find some kind of cure to her problem. She'd wasted a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of heartache, and no one had been able to care for her. In the Jewish laws, the laws that were set out in the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, um, this when a woman was, was bleeding, she was unclean. Uh, and um, she therefore, if she had been bleeding, not just on her, her monthly cycle, but for 12 whole years, she would have been pushed out of society. She would have been shunned and deemed as an outcast, unclean, kept away from everybody else. And in the midst of that, there were laws that said anything that she touched then became unclean. And yet in the midst of that, we read this. As the, Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman who was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. She reaches out and touches the edge of his cloak with faith and hope. It's a statement that she's making as she reaches out to touch him. In Numbers 15 and in Deuteronomy 22, we read that um, uh, the, the people of Israel were called to put corners on the edge of their garments. Now, I'm not going to pronounce this word because I'm going to get it wrong and it, and it could go very, very wrong. But um, the spelling of the word is T-Z-I-T-Z-I-T. -I -I I'll allow you to try and pronounce that as you will. T-Z-I-T-Z-I-T. -I -I it means corners. And you put these corners on the edge of your clothes to remind you to faithfully follow God by obeying his commands, that they were a physical representation that helped you to obey what God had called you to do. But in the midst of that, there's a messianic prophecy, a, a, a prophetic word that would say that the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one would come with healing in those corners. We read in Malachi 4 verse 2, but for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. That word wings is the same word, T-Z-I-T, Z-I-T. It means corners. It is, there is this sense that the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one has healing in the wings, the corners of his clothing. And so this woman who has been bleeding for 12 years reaches out with faith that Jesus is who he claims to be, that his words are true she reaches out with hope hope that in Jesus she will be healed we carry on verse 45 who touched me 
Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. People everywhere crowding in on him. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. She reaches out to Jesus in faith and in hope. And she meets love. Jesus immediately calls her daughter, family, intimate. And then he blesses her. Go in peace. So today, I want to encourage you with whatever is burdening you, whatever are the fears that you are carrying, the things that are going around in your head and in your heart, to reach out to Jesus, to reach out with faith and hope, to bring those doubts, those fears, those concerns, the challenges of the day to him. Reach out and say, Lord, I trust that you are who you say you are. And I hope in a life eternal that things will get better. The best is yet to come, as I've heard said before. And so as we trust and hope for that with a desire and an expectation that it is to come, may we meet love. May we know this agape love this love that is long-suffering and kind, that always protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres, that never fails, this love that is self-giving, that doesn't demand anything back in response, but you may know that you are loved by God now and always, that this is the constant that remains through everything that we face. Normally at Werbs, we give people an opportunity to respond, uh, to pray after we've heard the word of God preached. And um, sometimes we do this by inviting people to come forward for prayer ministry. Again, something we can't really do um, uh, in this kind of context. But we would love to pray for you. And if there is anything that you know that you think that um, we would love to, uh, you want us to pray for for you, then please do get in touch. Either use the email hello at stwderby.org or use my email phil.man at stwderby.org. Um, and we would love to be praying for you. Sometimes one of the other things we do is uh, when we feel as though we're being stirred and God's moving in our hearts. And I say to people, if you want to receive the love of God for the first time or for a fresh or for a new, I ask you to close your eyes and ask you to raise your hand. And I do that because I think that there's something that happens when we do it in the physical, when we physically raise our hand and ask for something. We are kind of confirming what's going on in our hearts. And so now wherever you are, whether you're in your bedroom or at your kitchen table or you've you've still got your brew going whatever it may be um i want you to stop and i want to pray for you and if you want to receive the love of god in your hearts i'm, I'm just going to encourage you to place your hands out and to receive it as a gift let's pray father god we thank you for your self-giving love a love that is for us that is with us that is 
patient and kind, a love that protects and trusts and hopes and perseveres, and a love that never fails. We ask, Lord, now that we may receive this love afresh and anew in our hearts today. We receive from you. Give us faith and hope in the midst of all that the world is throwing at us at these times. Be with us and may we know your love for us, sustaining us and upholding us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.